There are still horses on my mug, running into the distance. Forever young adults, at the podcast where we review books. They're running at you. What? Oh, they are running at me. <laughs> okay, if I turn the mug this way, they're running over there, so that's better. That is better. That's better. Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, talk about young adult fiction. As is the case on this podcast, one of us reads a book and then tells the other one about it and you get to listen to it and it's a very good service we're providing here because it essentially doubles the number of books that you can read um, because I can have an intelligent conversation with someone about a book that Kira's read and told me about on the pod even though I've never read it. Yeah. So this is a podcast for all you armchair readers out there. No, people do read in armchairs. <laughs> Saying that people who wish they could read more and still hold on to the identity of being a person who reads, but because all of us are broken by the internet now, don't read as much as they want to. Okay. We read the books and instead of having to pay attention for a six hour audiobook. You listen to us for like about an hour. It's kind of like when kids borrow books in the library and I'm like, oh, I really need to know what that book is about. So then I get them to like give me a review so then I can recommend it or not to more children. Oh, very smart. I also do this with the adults, but I spend more time with the kids and they give better reviews because adults are like, yeah, I liked it. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. And then the kids are like, Oh my god, my favourite part was when the cat did this thing and I didn't like this other bit, but it was good. It wasn't as good as this other book that I read and something, something, something. And I'm just like, yes, child, give me all the information. You and love I- information. You're an informational professional. As a yes, librarian. I am. Yes, I am. Um, I have read the book this week, this episode, and I picked this book for a few reasons. It was recommended to us. It was recommended to us on Twitter by at Malin. 1811 their like twitter handle which isn't their at their just name on twitter is malin181 without the last one so i have no idea but uh they said something by margaret peterson haddocks who is a ya author that they quite enjoyed i put out a call saying i wanted things that were christmasy and yuletide and of the season either a book that was seasonal a book in translation or a book from the Southern Hemisphere, because you did a Christmassy book. Yes, I did. So In New York. In New York. And I just kind of realised that all of our books have been set in the Northern Hemisphere, I mm-hmm. believe. So I put out that call and I got a recommendation for Margaret Peterson Haddocks, which was Malin's like, favourite YA author. Not a book in translation, not a book from the Southern Hemisphere. But as I was reading it, as I was reading this, I realised... It's actually quite seasonal. Okay. Not for Christmas season, but for the winter solstice and for, I've got a little list actually. (laughs) Um, For winter solstice, Yule, midwinter, the hibernal solstice, the longest night, which is tonight. If you're listening on the day this podcast is released, it's the 21st of December, which is the winter solstice in the Northern Hemisphere. Except actually in Ireland, in Ireland this year, the earliest uh, night time is going to be on the 14th. 
the earliest night and the latest sunrise, neither of those correspond with the solstice. They vary individually. The solstice itself, from like a scientific point of view, the actual solstice lasts like an instant. It is the moment the sun seems to stand still in the sky. It is going to be about 4am on the 21st in Ireland this year. So people historically have measured it by day because it's easier to measure like how long it's dark and light instead of like the moment when the sun isn't moving as fast as it should be. So it has been important to people though. Like from India to Scandinavia, from East Asia to the West of Ireland, for as long as there's been recorded history and long before that, people have had observances around the winter solstice and they're all about rebirth and death and the sun having died and coming back and it being the darkest point and being the point that's coming back from and the armpit of the year i like to call it i hate that it's bad. i hate that you call it that mm -hmm. and um i think that even though that's what you call it and you like to call it that you should never do it again okay, okay. i will take that recommendation on board and then ignore it and that's very appropriate for this book which is called turnabout okay um because it is unusual in our realm of YA literature because the protagonists are 185 years old. Are they Faye? They're not Faye. And before telling you why, I'm going to tell you about Margaret Peterson Haddocks. <laughs> so Margaret Peterson Haddocks, who's also written under Margaret Haddocks, um, published this book in 2000. She is an American author. She was raised on a farm in Ohio. She's now about 55 years old and she still lives and works in Ohio. She studied creative writing and journalism in college and was a journalist for a few years. She decided to turn to fiction writing because her husband got a job that would make him her boss. And she thought, that's probably not going to be great for my marriage. I'm going to try something else. I love you, but I don't want to work for you. I'm going to go to the creative arts. Essentially, yes. And I it, love it. And it worked really well for her. She got a few rejections at first, obviously, but her first book was accepted for publication in 1995. And since then, she has written more than 30 books for teens and young adults and children. Mm. She's a New York Times award winner. And like I said, she still lives in Ohio. Her Wikipedia page says with her husband, Doug, and their two children, but probably not because, like I said, her first book was accepted for publication in 1995 and somewhere else I read that that was around the time her second kid was born. And I was born in 1995 and I haven't lived at home for like over five years. So I maybe the kids have moved on. Maybe the kids have moved on, but I will note that sometimes people go home, such as my sister left and then she moved back and now she's gone again, but maybe maybe the kids are still there. You um, don't know. You don't know their story. They could be at home, living it up on the the farm. All of Idaho. Ohio. All of Ohio <laughs> is a farm to me. I know that's not true or accurate, but it is still it's what the it's what the television leads me to believe. You're right. I don't know their story. Do you know what story I do know? Is it the story of the book with yeah. the 180-year-olds? Yeah. Tell me about these old 
people. So the plot is actually very straightforward for this. Okay. But as I tell you about it, you're going to want a lot of context and that's how it becomes an interesting book. Um, the, the plot is um, Melly and Annie Beth are aging backwards at a normal rate. Melly, uh, when we first meet her, has just celebrated her 16th birthday and she's very upset about it because it means she can't drive anymore. They're aware that as they continue to de-age, they're going to need more and more care and support and they're not going to be able to live independently. Annie Beth is 18 still, so it's not like an urgent matter, but it's a matter that they're seriously looking for. And the plot of this book is them trying to find a guardian to look after them as they de-age into childhood and infancy and probable death. I mean, it's definite death. And also, they know the date of their death. Pending, like, accident or injury, surely they will just die on their zero birthday. So, they don't know this. What happened is, this book is set in... It's set between... 2085 mm-hmm. and 2000. Okay. So we get a few flashbacks for context to the year 2000 where Melly, who is then going by Amelia, is nearly 101. Um, she's pretty much ready to die. Two of her sons have like right of attorney over her. She's very physically ill and weak. She's just in a nursing home some scientists come up and they're like sign some papers you wanted to donate your body to science and she said sure and they give her a formula which causes her to start de-aging okay so it's not exactly a a benjamin button situation no so she was born in 1900 she lived a whole entire life and now she's living it backwards but new Mm mm-hmm because she's continuing to live before... Oh, no. Okay. That's too yeah. many... That's too old. Yeah. So she... like. How do of, you keep all the memories straight? They have memory books. So one of the things that... It, the, the project was a whole mess. Project Turnabout is what it's called. So that's where we get the title of the book. They don't really know what's going to happen to them as they continue to de-age. Because actually the scientist who ran this project did it very unethically. He did one trial with lab rats and they he gave them one formula and they started de-aging and he gave them another formula and they stopped aging either way altogether and just mm-hmm. continued to live kind of middle-aged. And then his grandmother started dying and he was like, I will recruit 100 old people, say, do you want to get younger? They, whatever their level of mental ability, were like, yeah, sure. He got signatures he injected them with the formula. Half of them died, including his grandmother. Okay, so now he has 50 older people. He has 50 people. older people who are de-aging. The thing is, he only did one trial in rats. So he wasn't prepared for 50% of the people to die. And he wasn't prepared for the fact that the cure that's meant to stop them from de-aging at all actually causes them to age rapidly until they die. Why and didn't then- that happen in the rats? They don't know. They don't know. So it didn't translate the formula, obviously. He's kind of fucked. And our protagonist, Melly, in the flashbacks to the year 2000, is like slowly realising that the scientists who were like, seemed like miracle workers at first, Mm -hmm. like had given them this chance at new life, like 
these 50 people like only have each other because they can't really talk to their families. How do they explain this to the families actually? I mean like you just said that they can't really talk to them but can they do the families think that they're dead? Yeah part of the paperwork they signed it was a waiver to say that they wouldn't be in contact with their families again. They went into a two-week coma as the thing began to take effect so a lot of them died anyway in that coma and yeah basically the doctors were like what was it very experimental anyway we didn't want them to have to grieve for you twice i'm sure you understand okay and i mean yeah that 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 makes sense if you're running an unethical science experiment Mm -hmm. on humans it makes sense that you would be like none of these people actually exist so part of the part of the the slowly like taking the blinkers away and realizing that this scientific institution isn't a great place to be is someone escapes Mm -hmm. and goes to try talk to her family and her family don't like really believe it's her and she ends up dying just because she's still a very old and fragile woman out in the world and she's not getting proper care even though she's de-aging she's now like 96 instead of like 98 when she started the study but um you know the scientists say to the people you know you can't tell your family because there's 50 of you like you've got hundreds of descendants between you like maybe you mr johnson over there all your sons are just mechanics and like farm workers in indiana but this person over here her godson is like a investigative journalist and like we're not gonna we can't let some of you tell and not others so you just have to completely cut contact so that's what that's where our people start when they start de-aging and they de-age at the same rate as they age? Yeah. Okay. So what I found really interesting about this book and why I think it's very fitting for our solstice season mm-hmm. is that the very the experience of the very, very old and the very, very young are given like emphasis more than anything. And like when we see Amelia and Annie Beth as teenagers they feel the same as they did when they were very old, but they also feel like different because they're young and vital and full of life. But at the same time, they're like, I can't continue participating in society anymore. I've had this really long life. Like both of them, you know, they were told you can't stay in contact with your family. Mm -hmm. So we would like you to stay in the Institute, but if you're going to leave, leave. And they leave together and they live very interesting lives. Um, Annie Beth, remarries she has a very happy marriage for 10 years with a man before she has to leave because it's going to become obvious that she's de-aging not aging and both of them do a lot of education they do a lot of different jobs they do a lot of good work they live long full happy lives and then they're teenagers again and they know death is probably coming and as you said earlier um melly has just lost her driving license so as they become teenagers, they lose their independence. They become more dependent on other people. They have to go find a caregiver. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds exhausting and just really sad. And that's the same, like, as you age for a lot of people, at some point, if you're unlucky, your dr- doctor is like, you are no longer safe to drive. Yeah. And then you can't drive. And that reduces your mobility and... It continues from from different points, and but yeah, yeah, 
And technology keeps changing. Yeah, actually the technology in this book is really interesting because it was written in 2000. Yeah. So the author is imagining what technology will look like in 2085. So all of the cooking is done on like cooking machines where you're just like, I would like bread and coffee and it makes bread and it makes coffee. Oh my God. (laughs) 3D print the food. Basically, yeah. And some of it's like extremely, extremely like accurate to how the trends that I've seen technology take so far between Mm -hmm. the year 2000 and the present where um, there's like this thing where everyone's an exhibitionist like these two women um, have had to live their lives very secretly they haven't been able to tell anyone else that they're living backwards they've only had each other to rely on and everyone else in the entire world essentially wants to be a TV star and wants to be famous and wants to broadcast as much of their lives as possible to They everyone. can't put anything on the gram. They can't put anything on the gram. Oh my god. Like there's a bit where they go out dancing to celebrate Melly's uh, 16th birthday. But she's also counting forward. Like they count forward and back. And I'll explain that to you a bit more in a minute. But uh, one of them's like flirting, like making eye contact with a guy at another table at like the chipper that they went to after mm-hmm. they went dancing. They're like, oh, why is he not coming over to talk to us? And then, like, a film crew comes up and is like, we are here, like, following Peter's night, letting us all see how he lives his life. And she was like, yeah, because he's too obsessed with himself to think about another person. I love how, like, is it a full camera crew with a cat, like, a cat? That's ca- kind of, the. I, they mention a guy with a microphone and a camera crew, so I guess so. That's amazing, because the concept of, every single person being like I'm doing everything for social media is hilarious when you think that everyone needs to hire people in order (laughs) to make that a reality (laughs) as opposed to just whipping out the the hand-sized device that they carry with them everywhere like I guess I guess he could have been more like a reality TV show. But yeah, yeah, our author was a journalist, so she's thinking in terms of journalism. Yeah. Melly keeps like trying to disable features on her computer, but they're all automatically enabled. <laughs> she like would like not to have this. At one point, she's like computer search adoption agencies and the computer's immediately like, oh no, are you pregnant? Here's crisis pregnancy helplines. And she's like, I tried to disable the empathy clip. Why Why is it being empathetic with me? I would just like the information I asked for, please. Why does technology keep changing? Do they have libraries? No mention. Oh, there is libraries. I was going to say no mention of a library. There is a mention of a library. Just because if you're just looking for the information, libraries are good at that. And but- also there's a human person so they can see if you need empathy or not. Yeah. And also one of the things that happens is the world is essentially cashless. Like Melly has a babysitting job for a while. And so at very big early in the book, she like just puts some money in her pocket. And then later on, she's like, oh God, no, I need to pay for something, but I don't want people to track me. I, how do I do this? I can't use my debit card. Oh, I've got cash. Cash still exists. But then everyone in the shop is very suspicious of her for using cash and she like tries to pay for some chewing gum with like a $50 note and they're like we don't have enough change for you are you sure you don't want to put it on your debit card so 
it seemed like a good prediction for how technology is going to go. Yeah. Yeah, there is no cash anymore. I never have any cash. It's upsetting to me sometimes because I'm like, oh, this would be a good situation to have change in. And I don't have any change. You're mostly talking about encountering homeless people, yeah? Yes, I yeah. am. Yes, I am. Yeah. I'm like, I would really like to give this person five euros and I have no money. <laughs> so. I try to have cash, but I don't. <laughs> like, I take out money every week to be like, this is just discretionary money when I don't want to like take my card out. If I'm just buying something that costs less than a fiver, I'm just going to spend this. But then I just use my card anyway. <laughs> yeah. it runs out. It's crazy. Um, wait, why is Melly trying to be sneaky and not pay things with her debit card? Okay, so this is a good way to get into it. So they've been living secretly. Um, they've been living away from the agency. Mm -hmm. And as far as we know, everyone else who was part of the Turnabout project is still living at the agency or near the agency or in regular contact with the agency. Whereas Melly and Beth are both like, I'm not going back there. Those people treated us like lab rats and they don't really know what they're doing. Uh, if they invent a cure that works, sure, we'll take it. But we are living independently. We are going to live independently. We are not going back to that place. So once a year or so, they have a consultation with someone from the agency who does like a medical checkup. And they also compile the memory books. So... A thing that has happened with the de-aging process is that the girls lose their memories from their first go at life at the same time as they're experiencing memories for their second go. So their brains are VCRs taping over themselves? That's actually the metaphor they use in the book. How much of it did you read? I literally read the first like three pages yeah. before I handed it over to you. But no, it, it, that made sense to me because um, that's when the author was writing. And also you don't really tape over DVDs. Yeah. So that is the metaphor they use. And like it makes... It makes no sense uh, from a neurological point of view. Mm -hmm. And the neurologist scientist, who isn't the main scientist, uh, points it out. She's like, it just, it doesn't make sense. There should be enough like um, redundant neuron neurons and synapse connections for them to just have two lifetimes worth of memories. This should no, not be a problem. And then someone else is like, oh, but it's like recording over a VCR. <laughs> there should be enough gigabytes on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh to deal with the trauma of that obviously while they're all still very very old people living in this agency they start the idea of uh, a memory book where you write down everything that happened in this year of life and also like so basically the year that's coming up mm -hmm. you in your first life the year you're about to forget and the year you just experienced because those are the two sets of memories that are most intense for you. Okay. Me so, Melly now has 168 memory books which she thinks of as 84 and 84 because they're really two different lives for her. Okay. And the reason they find out that the cure is going to kill them all is that... Some people took it? Yeah. So, one guy is like... I've decided the age I want to stay at for the entire rest of my life, which might be forever, barring accidents, you've told me, doctors, is 85. Because when I was 84, my wife passed away. 
and I don't I don't want to lose a single second of my memories of her and I don't even want to forget how much it hurt to lose her or the nice things people said about her at her funeral and they try argue him down but he's like no I'm 100% certain 85 this is what I want and they give him the cure and he dies okay cool um Melly and Annie Beth were the two oldest Annie Beth is two years older than Melly but and Melly was 101 nearly 101 so everyone else was younger than them it's so, only a few years in the institute before they find out that the cure is deadly yes and does that mean that they're the last remaining nearly at least because if they were the oldest then they've got the longest time to go backwards so and I know everyone was around 90 plus anyway yeah. but 101 and 103 are rare enough ages that most people were probably in their mid 90s yeah, they so were then like, there's like another 7 years or something between people yeah they were 80 or 90 so they do Okay, so yeah, this is another thing that we find out kind of over the course of the book. Uh, we get a flashback when Melly was about 40 or 30 on her second go-round. Mm-hmm. This was while Annie Beth was married to a dude and they were kind of not seeing each other as much. And Melly had a midlife crisis, which she found very interesting <laughs> because she like desperately wanted a kid and she wasn't happy with her work and she wanted to change stuff. And she decided she wanted to go back to her home in Kentucky. And she started Googling stuff about it. And two people from the agency turned up. And they were actually the two doctors who first administered the serums to them. And they were like, listen, you and Annie Beth are our two big success stories. There are two other people who ran away and we've had no contact with them. Um, Everyone else who is still living at the Institute is neurotic. Um, They're obsessed with either their first life or like counting down the minutes left in their second life. Like they are not healthy and well-adjusted. And we think that the reason you two are well-adjusted is because you keep reinventing yourselves. So I'm asking you not to go back to Kentucky because if you go back to Kentucky, you'll get obsessed with your first go around at life, uh, your family, all the people who are around you then don't look up your descendants don't just don't do it just stay away from it just live your new life please and she's like okay i'm i'm like how do they how do they know she was looking up kentucky but they're clearly being monitored they're being monitored yeah absolutely and that's actually an issue because what really sparks off the events of the novel is melly has her 16th birthday and one of her neighbors who she babysits for is like someone was looking for you um, someone called uh, AJ Hazelwood was looking for you. Yeah, she got on to me. I think she's a journalist. She was just, she was wondering if you were related. Also, like, what age are you again? And she was like, oh, I'm like 15. And she's like, really? Because you've been babysitting for me for like nine months now. And I thought, I thought you said you were 17. And she was like, oh, maybe I said I was nearly 17. I'm like 60. <laughs> she just keeps like trying to confuse this woman until she'll stop asking questions. She goes home panicked. Yeah. No one can know my secret. And she finds she has an email from, again, someone called AJ Hazelwood. And she's like, fuck, okay, bad. And she and Melly are like, we have to leave. This person is looking to investigate her family tree. 
and people in her family and I think she's one of my descendants and we can't let her know that the formula exists, that we exist, that we can't, like she's a journalist, she will not be able to keep the secret, we can't do this, we have to go. And they run, they run to a hotel where they use their debit cards to pay for things and then get another phone call from AJ Hazelwood. AJ, how is AJ able to track their debit cards though? Like I get that they're a journalist, but journalists shouldn't have bank records. Yeah, so what they realise after a second is that they didn't tell anyone they were leaving except for the agency. And they're like, oh, now we can't trust the agency. The agency is telling someone where we are. This could be another ploy of theirs to manipulate us into coming back because they think we shouldn't live independently. Our number one priority is still living independently. We're going to have to run. And they run. They go home to Kentucky, Mm. which is now a protected area, completely environmentally protected. No one's meant to live there. So, like the whole of Kentucky. I mean, I don't know the area where Melly grew up, where Melly lived, and like where her family were. That's now Um, a protected area. Yeah. So like that's cool. They like walk. They hike in the woods, and she's like, "This is the valley where the town used to be, and there's nothing left. Like, they must have brought down all the concrete. Does concrete not survive that long?" Have I outlived this town? Did, did it get swallowed by the wilderness while I was like getting a degree and then like... They've lived a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they lived 85 years on the way back. They also lived 100 years on the way forward. Sometimes reading this, I was like shocked by the fact that this woman was born in 1900. Yeah, that's real old. Yeah, and maybe part of the reason why the predictions for technology and society changes are so accurate is because the author did do research with her own grandparents and be like, what shocked you? What didn't? Where do you see it going since? And they're like, I grew up in like a wood stove heated log cabin with no running water, so I'd say probably more machines to make food with. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. They were like, okay, we don't want to go back to the agency at all. We can't even Google anything or like they are either directly telling this journalist stuff or their files are so shoddy and poorly protected that she's finding things out. We're just going to have to go off grid. We can't just survive in the wilderness every everywhere. But we did grow up in wood-powered cabins in the wilderness of Kentucky nearly 200 years ago. So we do know how to work in that biome. Yeah, but you're... 15 and 17 it's difficult to be a teenager living in the wilderness and eventually you're both going to be children living in the wilderness question mark also i have questions about their logic ari the journalist because Mm. if the journalist has a person in the institute that is giving them information and if the journalist is able to get into the files of the Institute, then they probably already know the secrets. And so why don't they just go talk to the journalist? It's because they think that they're a plant. Yeah. Okay. But they do talk to the journalist. Oh, okay. What happens when they talk to the journalist? So first of all, they go to a library. They split up. Um, They... 
they gather all their shit to survive in the wilderness. They go to a cave that's near the cabin where Melly lived. Annie Beth goes to the library and Melly follows someone to Walmart because when she finds her old house, mm-hmm. which isn't the protected area that no one's meant to live in. Someone's living there? There's someone living there. Ooh. So... She follows that person and stalks them. But Annie Beth goes to the library and she finds all the data she can find on every single living descendant of her and Melly. And there are hundreds of people. There's serial killers. There's one of the presidents, the current president. There's people who are actively looking for kids to adopt and like, that's super great. Let's get minded by our family. Um, But then they're like, well, actually, these people are weirdly into spiritual stuff. And these people seem like really hardline and we're not sure about that and they look at all of these people and they find only one of them has their data protected so the the data protection laws on this in this world seem to be like basically everything can be public if you want but if you're like i would like not to be publicly searchable like the way facebook can remove your profile from like the the searchable engine oh yeah so you can only be found by friends or friends or f- friends of friends yeah, yeah. and aj mm-hmm. has that the only records they have of aj is that she was a journalist with uh like the sorry her public profile is just aj journalist no pictures and if you like look into publications you can find her byline on like a few things but she stopped writing on them a few years ago mm-hmm. melly is like well that's perfect actually Let's get her to, 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 to be, be our a, caregiver. Because she can keep a secret. <laughs> all, and she is also secret. All of the other ones are are very public about things. Like, they seem nice, maybe, but they tell everyone everything about themselves. And we still have this secret that we can't tell anyone. So we can't really trust any of them to not, like, Instagram us. So we're going to have to try find AJ. And she eventually talks Annie Beth around and Annie Beth is like, fine, great. But how the hell do we find her? Because she's private. She's private. We've got no information about her. How would we possibly know? And Melly is like, I think she's living in my old house. I followed her to Walmart, actually. (laughs) Yeah. So she is. And her name is Annie Beth Jamelia Hazelwood. So she's actually named after two of her great-great-great-great-grandmothers, or a few greats anyway, who are Annie Beth and Melly. She's a descendant of both of them. Oh! One of Melly's like, great-grandkids married one of Annie Beth's great-grandkids and had one kid. That's actually weird and I don't like it. <laughs> actually, names are an interesting thing in this. It's really fun. Margaret Peterson Haddix is like, how are people going to resolve the issue of like matrilineal versus patrilineal names in a society where women are equal, but we still have hangovers from patriarchy? And she's like, well, it turns out we don't. So there's characters who have like quadruple barrel names and there's characters who have very weird surnames because they're like five surnames wedged together. And there's siblings where one of them has one surname and one of them has another surname because some of them have the mother's name and some of them have the father's name. This is... Yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to change my name if I get married. and then, But then you're just like, oh, if you get married and then you have kids, 
what do you make the kids names and like if you don't get married and you have kids what do you make the kids names (laughs) basically what do you make the kids second name and I'm just like oh I don't want to deal with that and I also like so my aunt didn't change her name but it keeps causing problems with the school because her kids have the same name as their father um and then there are just problems at the school because she's like well that's not my last name yeah but when I was growing up I had a different surname to my mother so like she would occasionally get like letters addressed to like Mrs. my father's surname yeah and she was like that has never been the case even when we were married I did not take his name and like now I kind of use the double barrel thing but I'm like if I co-parent with someone do you triple barrel? Do we triple barrel? Do I throw out my two names and just have one different one? Do we... I keep my name. What do the kids do? Yeah. And that's difficult enough if you're thinking it in a hetero, two-person, child-rearing arrangement. Yes. I might even be in one of those. <laughs> there might be four surnames to consider. It's a lot. And the, yeah, I'm just like, the more you barrel name, the more... And then, and then it's just like... If I'm barrel named and then they're barrel named and then we quadruple barrel name and then the kids are quadruple barrel named and then they meet someone with a name and then they have six barrel names. Basically, yeah. I'm trying to see if I can find it in this book. But basically when they go back to the agency towards the end with AJ, they meet two doctors and it's like they just refer to them to the male as the male doctor and the female doctor because they have quadruple barreled names where the first two names are the same and the second two are different and Melly's very much like oh kids these days I don't know how this works are they siblings are they married I have no idea they're both doctor same name same name different Different name different name (laughs) yeah oh I think that everyone should just give up family names completely and that we should just all only have first names. I, just to be like really easy to distinguish who all the Kiras are. As a historian, <laughs> I'm not a historian. I like the Icelandic model where like I would just be Aoife Kathleen's daughter and then like, you know, if, if you're a dude, you'd go with your father's name. Which sucks for non-binary people actually now when I say it, but... Child. It, it just changes. But child of the two? Hmm. Also, if you're if you're non-binary and you have a kid... Well, then they just say... Say you and I were to have a child. Yeah. Then it would be like, Lucy, Aoife, Kira, child. Yeah. And that would be their name. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. And uh, I hate that in a way that, like, I don't hate Lucy, Kira, child. Yeah. <laughs> or Lucy, Aoife, child. I don't know why her child is called Lucy. I mean, I... I don't know either. I'm like, you're looking at my wall. I'm like, is there a Lucy? There's a cat. That cat's name is Keats and you know it. I know. Um, Sorry, Keats. (laughs) So, yeah, I love that the author predicted that we're not going to have this shit sorted out. Which is fun because she writes under Margaret Haddix and Margaret Peterson Haddix. So So she didn't even figure it out for herself. She didn't. Beautiful. It's almost like every person is a person instead of like uh, just a point on a bloodline. Yep. So back to the so book. So back to the book. So they meet AJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has been researching a book on her family history because 
she had a midlife crisis like a few years ago like maybe two or three about the same time as she disappeared off the internet and Melly is immediately like oh man did you like really want a kid because that's what happened when I had my midlife crisis and AJ's like looking at the 16 year old like what what now <laughs> explain more what <laughs> and they explain and she's like I did not know what this agency with their shoddily protected files were actually doing all they seem to be doing is a lot of lobbying against like various medical treatments and also like investing shares in various different things so I guess we should check out what's happening with that yes I will be your guardian there's actually a very sweet bit tell me about the sweet bit AJ is like why are you telling me this after uh, like two lifetimes of being independent people after so long on the run like avoiding anyone else you have to tell me it on the record because I don't believe you mm -hmm. and then she was like okay we'll tell you it but you have to keep it off the record and you'll know it you'll know why when we've told you the story and basically they tell the story and she's like god okay and Melly says what's it gonna be are you gonna publish this are you gonna get that Pulitzer for the most prestigious category tabloid story of the century or you will, will you be our mummy when we get young oh I want to be their mummy. Yeah. And she's like immediately embarrassed. And she's like, shouldn't I just have said guardian or caretaker? But she knew she didn't want one of those. She wanted a mummy when she was eight and five and two and an infant. That was what she would need. Like she needs someone to take care of her. It's so interesting. Are they going to have to go to school? Well, so far they've been saying that like I'm homeschooled. And um, in their last place, but people did start getting suspicious. It was like, oh yeah, my sister, Annie Beth, is in college and working to look after me. I'm an orphan. Um, but like when the journalist rang, like all the neighbors were immediately like, wait, are you guys runaways? Like, are there, like someone with your same surname is looking, looking for, for you. you? Like, what is up? But yeah, and then AJ's like, what am I supposed to do? Am I meant to like ask you, did you wipe your feet when you came in? Are you getting enough vegetables? And Annie Beth says, you're not raising us. It's more like you're lowering us. Oh, and it's like, ha you have to just let, let us down gently. Like, like we're going to need more and more care as we get less and less independent and able to do things. And you aren't raising us to be people because we've already been people so much you're preparing us to die it's, it's just very interesting to see the symmetry of it and this is why i'm like this is a hell of a solstice book yeah i see how yeah. it fits yeah melly wished that annie beth had chosen a different word lowering reminded her of coffins being eased into a grave she remembered all the gallows humor that had gone on in their early days at the agency a carryover from the nursing home when they all still assumed that they were close to death. Were those kinds of jokes going to be part of her second childhood as she slipped towards death? Like, symmetry! Symmetry! <laughs> um, what happens when they go back to the Institute? Is, is this conversation about guardianship <coughs> before or after that? It's before. So they tell AJ and they're like, okay, so we've kind of squared out the guardianship thing. Now we need to go tell... The we need to go tell the institute that we're not coming back. We've got a guardian. And AG is like, did they not tell you what to expect going forward? Because like you were the oldest ones. 
they should be giving you updates they should be giving you plans and they're like wow she's immediately into this guardian role huh yeah because other people must have naturally died as opposed to yeah. dying via the the cure yeah so they thought all of the rats died when they hit zero mm-hmm. but the cure also worked on all of the rats but they're kind of just working on the assumption that they'll die when they hit zero because no one's told them otherwise. Yeah. And AJ is like, no, fuck this. This smells fishy. We're going back to the Institute and we're going to see. And they go back and they're like, where are all the like kid stuff? Like everyone should be like six. We were the oldest. You should at least have some 10 year olds. Yeah. It's really big and empty. There's like just these two doctors with their quadruple barrel names and like a receptionist. And they're like, yeah, no, everyone else died. They either took their own lives or were so obsessed with living life to the fullest that they did really risky things. Uh, They had no value for their own lives. They were heartbroken and traumatized by being so separated from everything that gave them meaning they weren't able to reinvent themselves the way mm-hmm. you were. There's the two that we lost contact with and we have no idea what's happening with them, but you're the only two people we know about who are still alive. Okay. Who took, who took um, the formula. What the scientists decided from this is that people just aren't meant to live that long. Um, so people just shouldn't live this long. There's like a natural limit to how long people should live and doubling that just makes them and that makes sense with like the brain rewriting itself in this way and other things then as well so what the agency has been focused on since is lobbying against scientific discoveries that might prolong human lifespans past what they think is the limit and aj's like that's bullshit this is bullshit i don't agree with this uh you're full of shit you are full of shit and Melly and Annie Beth are like, yeah, hey, so you took all of our meaning and reason to live away from us. Melly had a very loving family. She loved her family. She raised six kids. She was surrounded by them always. Grandkids and yeah. great grandkids and protected them and was connected with to them. And she was like, you banned us from going back to places that mattered to us and talking to people who mattered to us. No wonder they all got crazy and grieving and sad like you also only offered this cure to people who are so close to death that they kind of already accepted it was coming Mm -hmm. who only had their memories to keep them going and you're like we're gonna your memories are gonna be taken away from you your reasoning isn't valid yeah and aj was like also as the scientist who did this unethical experiment you have an ethical obligation to these two people who i am now the guardian of to look after them and keep researching for a cure because it's your responsibility you did this and that's essentially where the book ends we don't know what happens when they hit zero they are gonna continue advising the agency who may or may not go public with the fact that this formula exists because maybe it wouldn't be horrible for people if they weren't like extremely old and forbidden from getting in contact with their family and like maybe it could be a good thing for people maybe it could be studied more ethically maybe there could be one more than one lab trial on rats yeah before they um give it to some more humans oh and another thing actually is um 
they note that the birth rate has gone down hugely and that's the reason why so many people want to adopt um basically it's the norm that everyone is on it's kind of a bit eugenics and i don't love it everyone is on contraceptives basically from puberty okay um you just basically have what would be the bar in and you have to do like a parenting course before you get to have it removed and try to have a kid so there's a very low birth rate and they're like well people want to have kids like maybe it would be fine maybe we'll have people to look after them like that's terrifying yeah that's terrifying that's okay i'm i'm just like the idea of having a child entirely to watch that child de-age and die is distressing yeah that's end of life care (laughs) yeah that's end of life care Mm -hmm. um that's distressing i see the purpose of it if you have like a society in which people age backwards Mm -hmm. yes someone needs to to help those people Mm -hmm. with end of life care Mm -hmm. but it's very distressing to be like i want to be a parent and so i will adopt a child that is going to de-age and die i'm also imagining like a play school where some of the kids are aging forward and some of them are aging backwards and it's like i'm four years old i love playing with my four-year-old friends we're having a wonderful time and then i'm five years old or like my three-year-old friend i'm six years old my friend is two it's a bit weird i'm eight what the fuck yeah and also (laughs) like if they're mixing together in that way, then some of them are learning skills while others are forgetting skills. Yeah. That's distressing to me. Um, I'm also like, if you were um, given contraceptives as the norm by the government as a, a puberty, and then you can't get off those contraceptives until you pass a parenting class, then where do the babies for adoption come from? Because... It seems like if you can only become a parent by completing a parenting class, then there should be no... Unwanted kids. In order to adopt. And also, if you can't pass your parenting class to get your contraception removed, then maybe you shouldn't be adopting a child, question mark? Yeah. I would say what's probably happened is just like every single attempt at public health measures... About eighty percent of people bought into it. It's not. It's not very successful. It's, it's not, not fully successful. Perfect. Like maybe it's like vaccinations. Like some people are like, no, I don't believe this. Let's go back to the natural way, and then they get pregnant, and then, they, and then they die of measles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The natural way is to die of measles. <laughs> That's actually fun because Margaret Haddix has another book which I didn't read but read yeah. about where. There's a young person who's like, I live in the frontier of American expansion in like 1740 or something. And there's a terrible plague and coming to town and everyone's dying. Except actually it turns out that we're in a historical reenactment. And my mother knew this, but I didn't know this. And actually this disease is entirely treatable. They won't give us the treatment because it would ruin the like validity of the historical experiment they're doing here wow yeah i want to read that book she's a very interesting author yeah yeah um i'm also thinking just because of the adoption and everything i'm thinking of this book series called um 
unwind yeah uh, which i haven't read but i someone told me about this i think yeah where if you are every child is born Mm -hmm. every child is born every viable pregnancy is seen through to the end um and then like birthed and if you don't want a child want the child you're supposed to like leave it on a doorstep and then that person is supposed to like have to take it in but also if a child gets to like age 18 or something and still no one wants it then they get unwound for their organs Mm. and I'm just like what society is this I would be the mother of 60 children yeah (laughs) all of whom are 15 or up um I think I need to go read it so that I can figure out the specifics of it because I read the blurb of it at one point many years ago and it's been in my hand like two or three times since and I'm just like I need to read this to find out what's going on but also I don't actually want to have this knowledge in my brain (laughs) I know of this book because I have a memory of walking around one part of UCD campus with a person with whom I was having a debate on abortion in the run-up to the referendum yeah and they were like, yeah, so, I mean, just from a philosophical point of view, here's a thing I read about and isn't that interesting. Uh, and no. I was like, <laughs> you can't, You can't just unpeople people. Yeah, like, but it's like, well, if you, if you take the Catholic standpoint, if they start being like a person at conception, then from that moral standpoint, there is no difference from unwinding someone at 18 and aborting like a... 12 week fetus and I'm like yeah it's a shitty moral standpoint (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's you can you you can start um taking on sin at seven nice (laughs) yeah yeah before that it's a freebie (laughs) well like I think they must have changed at some point because before then like stillborn children and children who died before they were baptized used to be like nopes well no they were people but they were not cleared of original sin yeah but also if we go back further it's the quickening was when the soul entered the body and that happens after about three months it's when the baby starts starts kicking kicking yeah yeah no i don't mean like they were nope as in like not people but like they were not allowed they were not allowed to be buried on holy ground so that was the book that was the book (laughs) what were your highlights and lowlights i would say I'm finding it hard recently to parse out what's a highlight and a sidelight because there's things I enjoy and there's things that stick with me and I'm like, technically the things you enjoy should be the highlight and the thing that sticks with you should be the sidelight, but like, same thing often. Um, I would say the highlights were the visions of what the future will be from the point of view of the year 2000. Okay. I think it's the least ridiculous version of that I've ever seen. Because, you know, we all like to make fun of like, oh, this movie that was made in the 80s and they've got future fashion and people look ridiculous. But this had like kind of a shitty political climate. Some things are okay. Our relationship with technology has changed in a way that really changes how people interact with each other, but not like irreparably. One of the things they discussed towards the end where Melly's like, I feel old again. I don't have purpose. We've squared things off with the agency. I have a guardian. Like, I'm just waiting to die again. This is exactly what it was like the first time round. AJ's like, actually, I think, like, you should be an advisor. You should 
give your opinion from your many degrees and your much professional experience. She's been like a childcare uh, provider and an end of life uh, care provider and has a degree in psychology and Annie Beth has a, has a master's and a PhD in psychology. They're like, you should be talking to the agency and other people on the forefront of scientific breakthroughs that would extend life. Don't you think all those people who are very self-obsessed and broadcasting all their lives and desperate for attention might chill out a bit if they had double the time? Which isn't a thing I necessarily think is true. But it's an interesting concept concept and portrayal of like how relationship with technology and connection can Works. change. Yeah. yeah. And some of it, like some of the technology that you talked about, I'm like, that does reflect how we are living now mm. 20 years after the book was written. She invented um, FaceTime as well. <laughs> like video calling. That's really cool. Because yeah. um, I read a book recently that was written like only in the last 18 months or so. Um, that was imagining 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of like very similar technologies. Just there was nothing in that book that I thought was original Yeah. in, in, in terms of like what we can do with technology. Yeah. It was just bringing things to like more logical conclusions. Like, like there what? was, there was stuff like, um, when you FaceTime, you can like touch the person like you can mm -hmm. get a tactile mm -hmm. um experience as well mm -hmm. and things like that which i was like oh that's kind of interesting and a cool technology that we don't have now and yeah. i don't know how you would make it work mm -hmm. but 30 years yeah and it's so it's kind of like those episodes of black mirror where all of the phones are google glass but everything else is kind of the same yeah um yeah and when you bring that up actually there's an author's note at the back okay where margaret haddix talks about her inspirations for the novel mm -hmm. uh one of them is that she was actually keeping up with latest scientific inventions and the discovery of telometers mm -hmm. or telometers i'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it it's t-e-l-o-m-e-r-e-s telomeres telomeres they are repeated genes at the end of um your chromosomes yeah which um she explains it's like you have a necklace okay and you keep copying the necklace, but you lose a bead on either end every time you do it. Okay. But it's fine because there's a bunch of redundant beads that don't really do anything except hold everything in place. Except when you've replicated it enough times, you start losing important genes. And that kind of the forefront of how they understood aging in the 2000s. Although she does also point out that the cells in your brain and heart, two of the most vital organs, never divide past a certain age so like you don't generate new neurons past i think once you're born like they're like well the body ages because as these cells replicate they lose parts of themselves yeah. so the the formula that these people get um injected in basically regrows these redundant genes um do they get shorter the genes no do the do do mary beth and melly get shorter as they age well melly when she does her 16th birthday checkup the person from the agency tries to talk to her about puberty and she's like lists all the things that she knows is going to happen and the woman's very awkward and she's like oh yeah and also your hips are going to like flatten out and stuff so i presume so that's weird to me but okay yeah. i mean we're all 
built of our food. So I, I know. It's, it's people just shrink like, as they get old. I know, but it's it's weird to me that your bones would Rip. undo in that way. Bones are alive. Bones tell, are alive. Can I tell you about bone growth? They've got they've got blood on them. Tell me. So when you start off as a baby, most of your bones are cartilage. You might have heard before that you have like 206 bones as an yeah. adult no, and like 350 oh, wait, no, as a okay, kid. Okay, no, I'm, so I'm, I'm cool with it. Cartilage can grow a lot. Yeah. And as you grow older, more and more of your bones fuse together. You've probably heard about your skull. Like yes. you're not meant to touch the backs of babies' heads because there's a soft spot because the four bones that make up the skull haven't become one bone yet. And... In your long bones, like your mm-hmm. femur, your ulna, and they have growth plates okay. in them until a certain age. So that's little bits near the head of the bone where it stays cartilage and that's where it grows from. And it keeps, like your paint metaphor, mm-hmm. keeps adding more and more layers of calcium. And then those growth plates shrink and shrink and then disappear and continue to be calcium bones. Yeah. So um, different ages as part of puberty is that growth process closing off. Essentially, I'm going to say like osteons continue to live and add calcium and remove calcium from the calcium matrix. I think it's the osteomatrix. It's been a while since I studied biology. So as you were talking um, and said osteo, I remembered that sometimes when you get older, your bones become uh, less secure Mm -hmm. um, and they become brittle. And part of that process can make you shorter. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh no, damn, it happens. It's it a thing that happens right now. Yeah. Without the benefit of book science. Mm. I would say, I, I don't know if it would make better book science for them to de-age to middle adulthood and then not de-age past like 25 again. Mm. Because like... The fact that they're already 16 and, like, getting more baby-faced means, yeah, you're probably going to de-age to zero. Yeah. But one thing they do point out is that, well, we don't know what happens in human trials. Maybe you're, like, touch base and turn around again. Um, Oh, no. Which would be horrifying. Oh, no. Three lives. Mm. How many memory books would you need then? I don't know. Because also, like, if you... you well, you, you'd only have to write a new memory book on the way up. Yeah, true. But if you if you touched base and then went up again, would you die, die the on the way up? Or would you... Need to get another shot? No, no, no. But like, just... if you... if you, So you live your life, you get the formula, you live your life backwards, you touch base, and then you live your life forwards again. When you hit the age that you previously got the formula saying you're lucky enough to get to 103 again, do you retouch base? Is it a... Are they immortal now? (laughs) I would be really pissed if I had to wait to turn 102 before someone would give you the magic formula that made me younger again. But my... But but I'm just talking about Melian. No, I know. I know. But, like, if... Because they're not in a good place. Like, the very opening of it, she's like... I live most of my life in a haze. And then she starts de-aging and it's better. But like, if you had to wait to get to that point because they weren't sure if you're going to start de-aging on your own. I'm kind of like, if I'd already lived three lives, I'm definitely good good to just naturally go out on the third one. And that actually brings me to my sidelight. Okay. Which is the self, as it's understood in this book. This was my 
highlight or sidelight for another book. I really like Explorations of the Self because you're an old woman, but you're also very young. You're 184 years old, but you're also 15. And how do you survive that life? It's by constantly reinventing yourself and playing new roles and but also are you still the same person as you were the first time round because you're losing those memories are you becoming less that person are you a new person one thing i would say is interesting is that annie beth keeps her name the exact same her whole time whereas melly starts out amelia and then when people start being like that's such an old lady's name she goes by amy and then as she gets around to her second go of being 20 and people are again like, Amy? That's, were you named after your grandmother? She's like, Melly. And she does feel like a different person. Each time she renames herself? Yeah. That's interesting. And when Annie Beth talks about her husband, so she was married to him for 20 years and then they separated and she faked her death. The agency helped her fake her death. Mm-hmm. And when she's telling Melly about this, she's like, oh no, yeah, he died quite soon after I died, which is like, ah, so you also see things the same way as me, even though you're keeping your name the same, all of the iterations of yourself that you are... Have definitive time points. And you see yourself as a different person when you're in a different role and like you're no longer like... I am no longer a wife and so I am now a new... A new thing. Yeah. Okay. A new person. And one of the theories that the people in the agency have for why these two are the ones who, uh, like, stay Sweet. stay good um, is one... Annie Beth had a very shitty life the first time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she had an abusive family. Uh, she had pregnancies very young. Uh, she didn't... She thinks she did a really bad job raising her kids. When we hear her in the nursing home, she's like, yeah, I'm happy. I'm not having to talk to my family. They're like all crooks and horrible people and I don't want to talk to any of them. And she was determined to do a better job the second time round. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, I had three husbands first time round, hated them all. At least the second time round, I got it right. Whereas Melly doesn't really have a given reason for why it works for her. So... She says, oh, I think I was just really determined that I could be independent of the agency. What no one says is that they have each other. Oh, yeah. They have each like, other. Like, because even, even the other people that went out independently, I assume, went out on their own. Yeah. And therefore didn't have anyone to talk to or compare, compare like, life yeah. stages with mm-hmm. or... Just be like, oh my god, I'm having this really bad day because mm-hmm. I went to the shop and someone was like, was like young yeah. man, and yeah. I haven't been called young man in like twenty years, yeah. and it's so weird. <laughs> in a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, like, like I'm, I, I went out into the world at at six, like I was in the institute, and then I went out into the world at sixty, and now there's no one to be just like, I am a one hundred and forty year old person, but people think that I'm. 20 Mm -hmm. and someone was like young man and scolded me and that's a weird experience to have as a older person i could be your great great grandfather yeah um and there's no one to just moan about that too um i'm sure there's better examples but but you're right like (laughs) microaggressions against old young people (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think that that's definitely my sidelight is the <laughs> experience of being a person twice and more than twice and how they constantly have to reinvent themselves to keep on living. And yeah. they're like, like part of the bit at the end where they're like, oh God, I'm just waiting to die again. AJ's like, you can find new purposes. Like I had a midlife crisis quit my job, broke up with my boyfriend and moved to a protected area of Kentucky to write a book about my family history, which is why I was emailing you, by the way. And I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, I have and, a dog and now I have terminally ill kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, You like that the science that didn't work was explained by being like, we don't understand. I do like <laughs> that. I also like that... Um. Someone asked Margaret Haddix in an interview what she thinks happens when they hit zero. And she was like, well, I think they die, but maybe they could turn around. I don't know. Lowlight, they downplayed the fact that Annie Beth and Melly having each other is probably part of what kept them going. And that good companionship is scientifically proven to help a long and happy life. Fair. Um... Speaking of long and happy lives, both of us survived the year so far and we'll be back to you um, for a bonus episode. Soon. Very soon, probably in that dead week between Christmas Day and New Year's, um, where we will be going doing a review of the books that we've read and some of the books that we did here and some of the books that we read independently of this project and just kind of being like, this was our year. In books. In books. <laughs> We're not... I read about 35 books so far this year, and this is being recorded on the 1st of December. So I think you're similar. Um, I currently have 35 books. I'm hoping to hit... So my initial goal for the year was 50 books, but um, I don't think that I'm going to hit that anymore. I'm hoping to hit 40 by the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, my goal was 24, so I'm good. You're good. I was... Uh, too too into myself and I was like oh yeah I can definitely read a book a week you're a librarian I know and this two is, weeks off I just like two weeks off. I was like I'll have two weeks off if I read a book a week but um that was silly of me mostly because I'll read like three books in a week and then I won't read a book for like two weeks also you'll like forget to write them down for a lot yeah. of this year you were like wait 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 I've only read 15 books and I was like Kira <laughs> I've read more than that and you read more than me. Yeah, so. and also like I read a lot of fan fiction and stuff. So I'm like, if they were all books, I definitely, word count wise, I've definitely hit. You don't get to do that. You don't get to say, well, I read Lord of the Rings and also this pamphlet of poetry, but Lord of the Rings counts as five books. Because, no, yeah. you don't get to do that. It's very unfair. Um, but yeah, basically what I was saying is it's <laughs> going to be a bit of a looser discussion because we don't, we're definitely not going to be able to say, I read this book. I give it a 7 out of 10. <laughs> Although I do have a spreadsheet with that information in it. Link us. For the Patreons. I know. I have a, I have a Word doc that is titled Books Read 2015. Until the start of this year when I finally renamed it Books Read 2015 Onwards. <laughs> and it is every book that I've read since then that I remember to write down. Um, so we're going to give a loose overview and be like, well, this book stuck with me. In April I read this and it was weird. <laughs> 
So let us know what books that you read this year and what books stood out to you over the year and we'll see how what we do with that and recommend maybe some books for 2020. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, and then after that, we'll be back to the start of January with... Um, I actually don't know what book we're going to do at the start of January. So keep an eye on our socials where we will tell you that. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ForeverYAPod, on Instagram at ForeverYAPodcast. Our Goodreads has all the books that we read this year and will be updated with the books that we're going reading in the future. And that's ForeverYAPod. Yep. Yep. Also our Patreon, if you really like us or really hate us or just want to make us read a book is also Forever YA Pod. That's patreon.com forward slash Forever YA Pod. If, if you become a patron, you can recommend a book to us. You can recommend a book to us yeah. anyway, but if you do it as a patron, we're going to read it. We're 100% um, going to read it. No one has abused um, that privilege yet, so you could be the first. Also, if you support us on Patreon, the sound quality will improve because we will be able to buy better equipment and spend a bit more time working on the pods and the episodes than we currently are because unfortunately we both have to do full-time jobs in mm -hmm. order to keep ourselves in rent and coffee please feed me <laughs> okay we're gonna go now sorry also if you want to support us but you don't have money for a donation i completely get that i also buy too many avocados leave us a review on itunes or whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on if they allow reviews, do reviews. If they don't allow reviews, post about it on your own social media. Maybe tell, tell a friend you think will be interested. Tell your coworker about it because we all love listening to our coworkers' po podcast recommendations. Catch you in our special year roundup episode. Bye. Oh. <laughs>